welcome to the Enter Player 2 podcast. I'm Nicole McFall and I'm joined by Player 2, Carl Murray. We discuss anything and everything about the world of games. Our show features deep dive discussions where we answer the questions that have all been on our minds, as well as that, we're going to go head to head in the Game of the Week showdown. Today, we are going to talk about the differences in gaming culture between Japanese and Western games. As so many Japanese games are translated into English, we don't always recognise that the games we play are coming from two very different sources. So today, we're trying to understand the core differences between Japanese and Western games. That way, we can gather a better understanding of the two main epicentres for gaming culture, and how they are able to migrate into one another's territory as the trends of gaming change with the tide. Let's put things into perspective. In 2020, we consume movies, television shows, and any other form of entertainment at a phenomenal rate. However, we really need to stop and think about how this creative content often reflects the people who made it, and this is symptomatic of an extremely globalised and connected world. Sometimes, cultures mesh and overlap, which often results in fairly unique experiences. That is why, when it comes to Japan in the East and the West, the games that they make are much like the respective cultures. Different. In today's episode, we're going to dissect some of our favourite games from Japan and the West, I'll be representing Japan, whilst Carl will represent the West, predominantly that of Europe and America. So Carl, name me your top five Western games. So my top five Western games are Number five, The Walking Dead's Telltale Number four, Hitman Number three, Skyrim Number two, The Witcher 3 And number one, Horizon Zero Dawn What are your top five East games? Top five games in Japan would be Tekken you know I love good fighting game, Yakuza 0, because I like a hack and slash. Ace Attorney Collection, which I just got into recently, because I really, really want to become more interested in visual novels. Zelda Ocarina of Time, and my childhood favourite, the Pokemon Special Pikachu Yellow game in the Game Boy. We kind of have a very wide range there. So you have Tekken, Yakuza, Ace Attorney, Ocarina of Time, and Pokemon, all five very different games. And I'd say that... In terms of my games as well, there's a few, like Hitman and Skyrim are two very different games, but they do have similarities in terms of you're being able to choose your own path. No, I completely understand what you're saying, and I would probably say, irrespective of that, Japan likes to have very alternative storylines, and I think that's kind of indicative of the sort of anime and manga culture they have. They can be a wee bit eccentric, probably would say, like for the likes of Tekken, it's not your typical fighting game. Like one of the guys has a lion for a head, God's sake. And then there's Yakuza, which is kind of like a Japanese GTA. And then completely flip that. You've got Ace Attorney and you're a lawyer. Um, that's what I really like about Japanese game. It's, there's no one formula, but the way they write the story is always consistent. And I love Western games too, but a lot of your games are quite gritty. Yeah, they are very gritty. Like uh, a lot of death in these games. <laughs> you know, same in, in The Witcher 3 and the likes of Skyrim and Hitman. Like there's a lot of fighting in there. There's different combat styles. I'd even say in uh, Telltale's Walking Dead, that's about dead people. So <laughs> yours is a lot more uh, fun. Like, you know, Zelda Ocarina of Time and Pokemon Yellow. Not that many people will would die in that. Fair enough, in, in Zelda you've got to kill monsters, but they're very bright and colourful, whereas, you know, you've got the dark and grittiness of Skyrim and uh, Witcher 3, so you, you can really sort of see the 
the differences and we're kind of getting a better understanding of these games and kind of the differences between the east and the west but i think we need to kind of take a step back and understand the real differences between the two in terms of style and uh, sort of genre yeah i completely understand i think the first thing we should really talk about when it comes to japan and western games will probably be that visual style yeah, so one of the, the biggest and most obvious differences between the average Japanese and Western game is how they look. While many American and European players say that Japanese titles are too vibrant and cartoonish, the majority of Japanese gamers wonder why Western games are always seem to be realistic and dark. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, when you think about it, Western games do kind of lean towards what I was saying earlier about realism, as opposed to kind of like that stylized visuals that you usually find of Japanese games and that's probably why Japanese games played such a massive part in our childhood when you think about it because you're not going to start off in GTA when you're five years old are you? No you're going to start off in the colourful world of Pokemon Yellow. <laughs> and on that point a lot of the Japanese games that I personally enjoy that would have a really colourful visual style would be the likes of like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Pokemon, UK Watch, Zelda again and Mario even. What would be some of your favourite western titles whereby the art really stands out for you. My favourite games with a unique style or the Western typical style would be The Witcher, Assassin's Creed, The Elder Scrolls, but also some of the more popular ones would be the likes of Halo and Call of Duty. All these games seem to flavour realistic graphics and they're often much darker and grittier and they're more realistic than, than anything. I feel that Western developers prioritise the scope, visual and features of a game as its selling point, while Japanese developers tend to lean more towards the mechanics. But there are certain genres of games where Western and Japanese game devs nail, and others where they kind of fall short of the mark. In terms of fighting games, for example, the majority of definitive games in the genre have been developed in Japan. Visually and technically, Western fighters have never really came close. Mortal Kombat has always been super successful financially. Injustice has made some waves, but nothing has been really on the technical level of Street Fighter, Tekken and Soul Calibur. But if there is one genre that really separates the two regions most, it's the role-playing games, the RPGs or the, the JRPGs as they're known in Japan. Have you ever played a Japanese RPG before? Would Zelda count? <laughs> Not strictly speaking, no. That would be more of a fantasy. RPGs, you did actually. You played Sword Art Online, didn't you? I played a wee bit of it back whenever I got into the anime and I played one of the online games. It's it's very grindy. That's the only thing I'd really say about it. But I have seen some Final Fantasy gameplay before. Yeah, I think with Japanese people, a lot of them grew up as I said, on, with anime and manga and sort of enveloped in that otaku culture. You know, me, the big weeb. Um, a lot of this would sort of consist of like abstract and stylized drawings whilst a lot of western games are bringing it back to realism i personally prefer japanese games in terms of visuals and i think that's to do with how colorful abstract different and memorable it is but i also really do have a lot of love for western games in terms of the dedication to put to graphics and being immersive but i think games for me is about sometimes escapism as opposed to realism Comparing Western games back to maybe 10 years ago, the graphics weren't really where they are now. So like we talked in our last episode about the PS5, we're going to see more um, RPGs and storytelling games from Western developers that are more visually impressive. And I know you're saying about you want to step away sort of from the real world, but maybe in these games you can step away into a different world that's kind of similar. So I know we 
we kind of touched on it in the last episode with Horizon. Like, the new Horizon is going to look absolutely amazing with those brand new graphics. And it's something that I'm really looking forward to after a long days of work sitting down and be able to play and be able to get immersed in this realistic environment. So do you think sometimes whenever it's immersive and has that aspect of realism that it's easier to get lost in a story that's almost too fantastical to comprehend that by having that graphics it makes it more accessible it really does enhance the story but then again it depends what type of game you're playing so like with horizon there is a linear story whereas with the witcher 3 you're able to really pick and choose where you want to go it must be understood that japanese and western developers tend to take different approaches when it comes to developing that story-driven game that strives to create captivating characters and worlds in Japanese games, you'll often find the same type of hero made popular by early titles like Dragon Quest. This hero, or heroine, normally has a clear, precise goal. It takes them through a grand adventure where along the way they gain the company of various other characters, also known as a cast. The hero almost always ends up having to save the world in some way, and the final battle is often against a celestial deity or a godlike villain. Um, is it really bad? The first thing that came into my head was like some sort of massive... Bowser, not really a deity, but sure. Um, the protagonists are usually always children or teenagers or young adults who have special powers and incredibly unrealistic hair. Final Fantasy comes to mind. Some perfect examples would probably be the Teal series, Ni Nu Kuni, and the Final Fantasy games. Comparing that to Western games, the heroes are usually middle-aged men with a rough, strong look who are rarely about saving the world. Instead, their goals are usually more personal and involve things like vengeance or uh, a certain love interest. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really bad? I'm just, well, what do you call her from The Witcher? What's her name? Oh, Yennefer. Yennefer! Yennefer! Oh, I cannot hack the series. The Yennefer's transformation creeps me out so much. Although she does look like a babe, but sure, we'll move on from that. <laughs> yeah, that that's more really about um, the TV show, not the actual series. But the series is true to the game. That's how. That's the authenticity. It comes from the game, then there was books, and then there was series. So I'm going to fact check you on that one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, people should know that we're not always right on the show, but anyways. <laughs> so what do you think is the most effective way of telling a story? The Japanese way or the Western way? So whenever you say that, you really have to define what you mean by that. So with JRPGs, there's more of a linear story where you have to follow and, you know, it's mainly told through game mechanics. Whereas in RPGs, Western RPGs like The Witcher, uh, you're able to branch out and your choices really affect your own character. So Western RPGs aren't usually anywhere as technically polished as JRPGs. They lean more towards open world gameplay and a lot allow for more player choice allows the player to be able to build their character the, the way they want and they're able to decide and make their story so i feel like that is a bit more effective instead of just playing a linear game sort of bouncing off what you were saying there about the linear storytelling method being undermined by the free roam aspect one title that comes to mind if you sort of put it on its head as you were is the final fantasy series we all know that's very very cinematic linear heavy so much so that the seventh game when it was remastered there was actually a movie on it did you ever see it it's called the final fantasy advent of children no i've never seen it no it's very very good like but it just shows you that it was more about the visual novelic aspect of it and i think i would completely agree that the free roam seems to take a wee bit more of a stride 
in terms of piquing the interest of gamers and the way they sort of start to approach new titles going forward. Just to put things in context, I know that Final Fantasy sold pretty well in the West. More than a million copies sold in the first day of sale in Japan, with nearly a million more flying off store shelves by the end of the year. The game was highly praised in the East. Western players and reviewers alike, however, strongly criticised the very linear nature of the game that offered players little to no freedom. And upset with these sort of low review scores in the West, I know that the game's director suggested that people not approach the game from a Western point of view. Rather, it's more about having an Eastern experience. In other words, Japanese players have no problems with linear games as long as the gameplay is fun and the story is enticing. From my perspective, I can certainly say that I personally enjoy linear games a little bit more, and that is more down to the practice of storytelling. One prominent example that's sort of sticking out probably be the Ace Attorney collections and Yakuza 0. I know I sounded a bit contradictory there, but I do understand that what you're saying about the free roam aspect is probably more enticing to the Western perspective. It sounds like there that the Western gamers want a bit of choice. Personally, I prefer playing games where I'm able to choose how my gameplay affects the story. Like I like how you can choose to interact with one character at the beginning of game that could influence your ending. Uh, you're not really restricted by a linear storyline, but that's just how I like to play games. I think that the games themselves are as good as they've ever been, but they're just not really made for the entire world anymore. And a lot of Japanese games are now, by and large, made to appeal almost exclusively to Japanese gamers. When we discuss the downfall of the Japanese industry, it's important to focus on why Japanese games and Western tastes have diverged so much in recent years. I think there's no single cause that can really explain this phenomena. Some of the possible reasons probably range from the likes of the social and economic to the practical and the mundane. Irregardless, the fact remains that Japanese gamers are now seeking different experiences from North Americans and Europeans. I think the slow taker of the AAA console space by heavy-hitting franchises, genres and studios that introduced the likes of first-person shooters and games of a non-linear storyline really changed the tastes of the Western market in the past decade. There have been other forces at work in Japan at the same time. The reason for the shift in the Japanese tastes are numerous, however there is one particular reason, and that is Moe. The Japanese concept of hobbies and adulthood and a tradition of undervalued foreign games. Whilst Moe reigns supreme, do you think that Western games are becoming more popular in Japan and is the market slowly shifting? In the mid-2000s, Japan saw for the first time a console that was developed by a non-Japanese source and a technology giant in its own right, which was Microsoft. And with Microsoft coming in, it brought in an influx of international third-party franchises as well that really pushed the boundaries of game creation in terms of gameplay. Touching upon this, the West started to explode with new content, and probably one of the biggest titles we're going to mention is that of Grand Theft Auto, developed by UK's Rockstar. Actually, Grand Theft Auto 4 managed to set a Guinness World Record for the highest video game production and cost a whopping $100 million, which actually crushed the $70 million record held by Japan's Sega Corporation for the development of Shinmu. Another point to note is that around 50 major players in the Japanese video game industry were asked to divulge their favourite games of 2010. The most popular were Red Dead Redemption and Heavy Rain, both which are well-known popular Western titles. I've played Red Dead Redemption, but have you played much of Heavy Rain? No, I haven't played any of Heavy Rain. Well, that's definitely going to go on the list after this podcast, what do you reckon? Yeah. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that a lot of Japanese people traditionally have a strong local preference, particularly when it comes to visual manga style, and the looks of their characters that they love. But as technology and presentation advances in games like Uncharted and Call of Duty, I think they're 
rightly seeing their quality and I can understand that too because they're both fabulous games in their own right. I'm not a massive COD player but I do appreciate Uncharted. An interesting contrast is that first person shooters and generally games that centre around gunplay have not really been particularly popular in Japan so to see Call of Duty so popular may have indeed been indicative of change but comparing Japan to China, China really does have a massive market for shooters and battle royale games at the moment. Yeah just sort of on that a lot of first person shooter games really tie largely with American culture because most first person shooters come with American development so it's interesting to see the Chinese market explode. In conclusion both the West and the East have unique takes on game development and this is evident by both their style, visuals and gameplay mechanics. However, we can see that both have influenced each other and tried to adopt certain features in their respective games. Eastern games encourage you to live through a linear story, whereas Western games allow you to create your own story. I think we can all agree though, the best games are a marriage between both East and West. Now we're going to move into our Game of the Week showdown. Hello and welcome to the Game of the Week showdown. The rules of the showdown are simple. Both players pick a game they support that fit the bill for a specific theme for this week. Both will then battle against one another in an animated debate to see which game comes out on top. The three categories to focus on are plot, mechanics, unique appeal. The winner picks the theme for the week and takes home the championship title for that week. Games used once may never be used again in upcoming showdowns. This week, our favourite racing games. We have a very interesting one for this week. What have you chosen, Nicole? I've chosen Forza Horizon. And what console was that for? I believe it was the Xbox 360. The game that I've chosen was also on the Xbox as well as the PS2. It was Need for Speed Underground 2. Not going to lie, probably my most favourite game. Um, the only reason I didn't pick it is I knew you would pick it because I know you played it growing up. And it is honestly one of the best games out there. Yeah, it was another game that I played with my dad whenever we got the PS2. We absolutely loved it and we used to get caught on like a certain bit that we couldn't progress in the story. And I think that there's what held us back. We, we couldn't remember how to progress. And I think years later, I went back to it and I was able to get past it. So, yeah, I'd never completed it, but it's such a good game. And it actually has got a plot. Does your one have a plot? Yeah, Forza Horizon does have a plot. It's kind of inspired by Need for Speed Underground 2 in that it steps away from the conventional format of a typical racing game. And it's an action-packed racing game in terms of being able to free roam, which is really interesting. So in terms of the plot, Forza Horizon is set in Colorado and it's a departure from all its previous titles in the Forza Horizon Motorsport franchise. It's set against the backdrop of a music festival in Colorado. Forza Horizon is an open world automotive playground, as some people may have described it, that offers the authenticity and incredible vehicles you've come to expect from a Forza game. But it's along with the exciting racing action that you might affiliate with the likes of Need for Speed Underground 2. Along with countless others, um, having gathered in the Horizon a fictional festival that resembles that of a sort of burning man on four wheels after a brief race to the festival you're entered into all of the events and you just have to keep winning them and earning points developing a reputation amongst all the other racers and you'll be able to gain um, access into different sort of events so you will get get different colored wristbands kind of like vip access which grants you entry into more challenging series of races and as far as i remember better the races the better the rewards you would get some really cool vintage cars 
and Forza Horizon usually focuses on casual street racing rather than professionally on like racing tracks. It takes place on a map with with all these temporarily closed public roads that are kind of using the reason that it's a music festival and it features multiple types of races from drift to rally and point-to-point races. And I actually remember there was one where there was a plane which was pretty damn cool. But uh, yeah, the plot's pretty interesting. It's very free-flowing and you can kind of take it at your own pace, which I like. So it's not too intense, but it breaks away from what we're used to in typical racing games. So yours kind of has like a narrative mechanic, not an actual plot, whereas mine has a, a true story to it. So the story begins with the player after he's beaten Eddie Street Gang, known as the Eastsiders, in Olympic City. The player has now gained the status as the best street racer in Olympic City. The player is then called after the final race by a bald man with an invitation to join his team. The mysterious bald man on the video screen tells the player that he is not taking no for an answer. In defiance, the player abruptly hangs up the call. So long story short, a hit is put out on you and you're involved in a serious car crash. Six months later, the player boards a plane to Bayview and turns out that someone is attempting to take control of the racing scene in Bayview. Ooh. The player eventually encounters the gang who are responsible for the crash called the Reefs and defeats them one by one. The leader, Caleb, challenges the player to a final showdown and loses. That event solidifies the player as the best underground racer in Bayview. First point. Ouch for the dig, and I have a true story. <laughs> yeah. And number two, um, I think it's above you. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, three, uh, it sounds very like Fast and Furious, Furious, I don't know, esque. Yeah, I kind of simplified it. There was a lot more in it about betrayal and about you purchasing cars and a lot more side characters and that, but I just kind of streamlined it so that it wouldn't be very rambly and I wouldn't want to have to retell the whole game. But that's just a very uh, brief summary of the actual game. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll give you that. Yeah, I think it's going to take this one. I don't know. You're getting a bit overconfident. You're 2-1, but that doesn't mean you're going to be trailing me the whole way through this series. Like, <laughs> Okay, then why don't you tell me a bit about Horizon's... Uh, or sorry, Hor- yeah, Forza's uh, game mechanics. It's Forza Horizon, you know. Sorry. Tell me about your game. Get an Xbox. Get a life. Right, okay. Gaming mechanics for Forza Horizon. There's that free roam aspect that beats Forza Motorsport with a flashy Fast and Furious-like stick and throws a unique concept of street racing into the market. Indeed, the game's most compelling aspect is probably its RPG-like popularity engine, which encourages you to see every slight kink in the road as a means to show off, which is something I can get on board with because I'm a fast driver, legally speaking. If driving like a hooligan without having to face any consequences in cars you'll never be able to afford sounds appealing, tick, then you'll love Forza Horizon, which probably explains why I love it so much. Whether by accident or design, Microsoft has hit upon a format that gives its flagship driving franchise the credibility it's previously lacked. And other aspects of the game mechanics include an auto show in which the player can buy or sell cars. There's the grid, the, the grid. Sorry, I've been listening to many American podcasts. <laughs> the garage <laughs> in which the player can manually or automatically upgrade their cars. And a paint shop in which players can create custom paints, libraries and paint presets. But that's pretty standard. That's on the tin for most racing games. Um, and there's with the free roaming, the player may encounter discount signs, which when smashed give a price reduction on all upgrades from that point forwards, which is pretty cool. There, the thing, 
the thing that I really like, and I think they sort of took that going forward into some other For- Forza Horizon games, is um, the sort of time mechanic. So they had the night to day time mechanic that sort of correlated with your gameplay. And there was loads of special events that sort of opened up with that. And I know with some of the most upcoming racing titles, they sort of twisted that so that you, they had a seasonal aspect to it. But that's entirely different. But I thought that was pretty interesting and unique, especially for a game that just came out in a 360. So it's, it is a few years old. What year did it come out again? Forza Horizon came out in 2012. I think yours might have a bit better game mechanics in terms of mine so the main mechanic for my game is obviously racing however there are several racing modes compared to the the first uh, Need for Speed so in this game there's circuit race, drag race, drifting and outruns so the whole outrun aspect is that you have to get in front of your the other opponent and you've got to outdrive them. There was drag races as well so they're kind of like sprints from one part of the city to the next and of course everyone knows what circuit is. It was also one of the first racing games to ever add free roam mode to it which is widely used in racing games today. There also was a wide range of visual and mecha- mechanical customization in the game so you customize your look and also what was under the hood and it also had online multiplayer for the PS2 PC and Xbox. However, EA had to shut down the servers in 2010, but it does have local uh, multiplayer. <laughs> so I think I'm going to have to give you the mechanics on this one, Nicole. Thank you, but I must not bash Need for Speed Underground 2 entirely because I know you say um, that it has the free roam mechanic that most games have today, but I have to say that that game was probably one of the forerunners for the reason that that exists, and it did it first. So we do have to give it its dues. I do have a lot of respect for the game. Yeah, I, I understand. And this is kind of what I'm going to say about for my unique appeal that is still regarded as one of the best racing games of all time. Even when I mentioned it, you were like, oh my God, yes, I was going to pick this before <laughs> before you did. And there has never been a Need for Speed like it. Everyone has compared every single game since this release back to it and said, no, it's not as good as this one. Not as good as this one. The game was widely regarded as one of the best games in the series and remembered for the quality of gameplay the length the endless customization the interesting side missions you had the graphics uh the music as well and of course the the main free room it sold over 11 million copies too and entered into the best sellers list on the ps2 the xbox and the gamecube i think this is going to sound really uneducated of me because it was such a good game. I actually forget how many Need for Speeds there was or if it's still continuing because 2 is the only one that ever comes to my mind when I say that title. <laughs> it sounds really um, uneducated of me, but how many Need for Speeds is there? Since then, there has been 16 other Need for Speeds released. And since then, none of them has been able to capture the magic since Underground 2. There was maybe Carbon and Most Wanted that kind of built on that formula but none of them have ever been able to stand the test of time the way underground 2 has i'd be in complete agreement with that if i'm completely honest with you and just while you were going on about all the sort of different takes that they had on it this is completely unrelated but i would love to see a japanese tokyo drift sort of game do you know if there's any racing game like that no i'm not 100 percent too sure if there is I just think it'd be great if they you were playing a racing game and you were drifting along the streets of Tokyo. I think maybe I should write the EA games and see if they do that for me. Most likely not with EA. Oh yeah, definitely not. Maybe I should take it elsewhere. Yeah, it'd be paid to play. <laughs> the unique appeal for me was probably the look, feel and soundtrack of the gameplay. The game has a realistic handling experience that really complements the outwardly 
Coachella-like environment of the game. It feels effortlessly cool and it's a pleasure to play, even casually, if not competitive. I'm a big fan of music and the soundtrack for me was probably the most unique part of the gameplay that really stood out for me beyond just the street racing. The game's soundtrack contains several dubstep tracks, which demonstrate a variation of Avicii's levels, which is remixed, obviously, by Skrillex. There's three fictional radio stations which are featured, all catering to different styles and genres of music. Some featured songs are from highly popular producers, some from lesser known artists, and multiple Australian artists such as Cut Copy and Empire of the Sun. Playground Games also worked with Festival Founder and DJ Rob DeBank, which gives it a really polished feel. I know gameplay is not about music, but whenever it's encapsulated, around the prospect of it just being about a music festival, it kind of gives it a soundtrack to play with. And you know me, I love to drive around and listen to my music. So it just gave it a bit of a flow and just made it just a pleasure to play. And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed it. The environment just made me feel like I was at a festival. So who's going to take home the the crown this week? I think I'm going to take home the crown this week because whilst I absolutely love Need for Speed Underground 2, I think that what Forza Horizon brings to the fore is what Need for Speed Underground 2 already had, plus more. So you think it builds on the foundations of Need for Speed? Yeah, I think it's built upon the legacy of it, but... I think it's kind of lacking in some terms of the personas that were involved in Need for Speed Underground 2. Yeah, like Need for Speed did have its flaws. However, it still is highly regarded as one of the best games of all time. But I suppose I will give it to you this week. Oh, you're just being kind now. No, no, I, I will say that, that Forza is probably a better game. You know, it was released a couple of years later. It's got more game mechanics to it. It's got more customization. Compared to Need for Speed Underground, it did set the bar. And I think that looking back, it was probably the game that everybody built off. I will take this success and I will cherish it. (laughs) So what's your theme for next week then? Oh, the theme for next week is going to be Survivor Games. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you very much for all your support. Now back to the show. And now it is that part of the show where we answer your questions. If you have any questions, please send them into askplayer2pod at gmail.com. That's askplayer, the number two, pod at gmail.com. The first question we have is in from Sandy. What are your thoughts on the claim that Breath of the Wild is a good game, but not a good Zelda game? Oh, you're going to get me started here straight off the bat. Are you triggered? I'm not really triggered, but Breath of the Wild is a good Zelda game. So Zelda is linear, you know, you've got to go to the dungeons. That's what a typical Zelda game is. However, these developers were inspired by other games out the market so what happened was i remember reading an interview about it is that nintendo decided to bring in some fresh new blood into it they wanted to expand upon it and they decided to take a different direction which has resulted in possibly one of the best games of all time which is breath of the wild it still is a zelda game it's got all the tropes it's got all the mechanics in it it's just done in a different way and it breathed sorry it, it, there was a fresh breath er technically into the oh, series geez. yeah I, I went there 
but um, to say that it's um, not a Zelda game, I think, is just outrageous. Ludicrous? Yeah, it is. It really is, because at the heart of it, you know, you have this story, but like we talked about it at the start, you know, you can go anywhere. You it, There is a storyline to it. However, you can decide to which divine beast you want to. So you can go to the big bird one, for example, or you could go over to the elephant. It really depends. You, you could go straight to Ganon's castle if you want to. You can follow the story the way you want. There's more choice, you know, so that there is probably the best of the East meets West is Breath of the Wild. The next one comes in from Michael. What are your thoughts on Microsoft shutting down Mixer and partnering with Facebook for their new streaming platform? Yeah, you actually told me about that this evening. Can you give me some context to it? Like, why did uh, Mixer just fall through? Were they not get enough people? So this is literally only just came out about an hour ago whenever we were recording this. So Mixer is shutting down and partnering with Facebook Gaming. Any partners or any streamers on Mixer are able to go over to Facebook Gaming but there's a lot of reasons as to why Mixer is closing down. The first one is probably it's not doing as well in views compared to Twitch. And also there's been allegations that have sort of came out. As somebody who's watched Twitch over the past couple of years, I think Mixer has always been a promising failure. It tries to brand these streamers and give them an identity that doesn't really fit in with the sort of friendliness and the accessibility that Twitch has always given a lot of people who watch games. There's a lot of things that unnerve me a bit, and I think that's probably to do with the talent acquisitions they got over the course of this past two years. Why would it fail when you've got the likes of um, Ninja and Shroud? So the reason this fails is that you can't force people to go to Mixer. It doesn't matter what talent you get in. If people don't want to use a bad platform or a bad or stream on a platform like that, then there's no point. Like Twitch has the highest amount of concurrent viewers at any one time. It's never been beaten by Mixer. But Mixer is now responsible for the majority of contracts that people have with Twitch. So whenever Ninja decided to move to Mixer, you know, that was a contract he was paid X amount of money and Twitch didn't want to lose anybody else that was big like that so they didn't want to lose Dr. Disrespect or Tim the Tapman or even Pokemon stuff like that so they reached out to them and they negotiated contracts so because Ninja actually made that move it meant that more streamers started getting money and could make this as a more secure job it wasn't just a hobby on the side I heard you mention Tim the Tapman and I thought that's really interesting because I remember how excited you were when he was like I'm staying do you remember that? Yeah I do yeah, um, and I was kind of like, why are you so like overwhelmed and happy about this? And I don't know about you, but would you consider many streamers going over the mixers almost being like selling out? No, I wouldn't say they'd be selling out. So they're going over to Mixer for more money and whenever there was all starting out, if they were offered contracts and it meant that they had a stable income, but because of the whole Mixer-Twitch rivalry, it meant that people now on Twitch were going to be getting a set salary from uh, from Twitch including like bonuses and stuff like that for subs and revenue but it also meant that you know they were covered would you not say going over to mixer was kind of a risky move you know from the likes of ninja and shroud because even from april there there was viewers that watched 37 million hours of gaming content on mixer but this is opposed to twitch's 1.5 billion and i was quite surprised that youtube actually had 461 million which is stan's testament to how mixer was really not being accepted very well by the gaming community. So why would you make that sort of risky move, even if there was a salary promised? 
so it was probably just to do with the size of the salary but at the end of the day it was probably the best decision that Shroud and Ninja made because now that Mixer is closing down they got paid out their full salaries which means that now they can go back to Twitch with that money that they're now set for life they don't even need to go back to streaming if they don't want to and what's your thoughts on Facebook trying to monopolise streaming? I don't really see that as a successful move on Facebook's part Facebook have always tried stuff. They've tried it with the Oculus. They've tried it with mobile gaming. I wouldn't really trust Facebook, but my only worry is that if the new Xbox is going to have some Facebook integration with Facebook gaming, then maybe that's going to be bad for that console. Um, The strength of watching Twitch is you could have anonymous viewers watch you at any point. If you were to sort of restrict it to Facebook gaming, like how would you even have communities whereby people who aren't within your friends list can watch? It's a lot of questions, but I'm sure there'll be answers. I'm not too sure, but maybe that there is a question for another day whenever we find out more about Facebook gaming, but I don't think it's going to be as successful. And we wish all those who are streaming on Mixer all the best, and hopefully you find a platform at Twitch. Okay, so this email came in from Hannah. What is a popular game that everyone enjoys, but you don't? Oh, um, I suppose it's because I've never really played it. Um, I've never really gotten into it. You know what game I'm going to say, don't you? Oh, I don't really know. Halo. Oh, come on, man. You just couldn't get over the fact that I was absolutely poning and teabagging you in Halo back in the day. I never played Halo back in the day. I never got into it, so... You played it multiplayer with me, and I, I, I owned you, and it gave you some major rage quits. I wasn't really major rage quit. I just don't really enjoy it. never really got into it. I might actually buy the Master Chief Collection or that new bundle on Steam at some point to try and get into it. But uh, yeah, that's a game I don't really enjoy. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm really shocked and oh my god, traumatised. Um, I really think you should get into it alone because the lore around it is fantastic. It's composed in the books and the soundtrack, it, it just oh i can't even express it in words you're missing out man that's all i can say this last question comes in from james if you had to live with the main character of the last video game you played who would be your new roommate i think my new roommate would be phoenix wright from the ace attorney collection i went on about so much but could you just imagine him and i just go like phoenix clean up your room and he'd be like objection (laughs) he'd be like nope not gonna happen (laughs) yours, yours isn't too bad mine mine would be funny uh so mine would technically be pikachu oh geez that's the cutest roommate in the whole world yeah but he'd probably shock me to death or something or you'd find him in a cupboard eating your ketchup yeah so since the last game i played was pokemon uh i think that pikachu is probably the main mascot of that so that's why i had to choose pikachu not the last pokemon in my party because i can't remember which pokemon that is but thank you once again for listening to another episode of the enter player 2 podcast Make sure to visit us on all our social medias. Links to our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram can be found in the link description. Please be sure to subscribe and you will never miss a show. If you like the show, we would appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. Plug in and join us again at Enter Player 2. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining. Bye. Bye.